Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If you have children, you've probably noticed that uh, children learn through uh, imitation. They're natural mimics. Uh, they pick up mannerisms and gestures. They pick up words, which uh, makes them really good at learning languages, and most of the time that's a really good thing. Uh, sometimes they pick up words you'd rather that they not pick up. Uh, I, I, uh, I have conversations in the car with other drivers sometimes, and... Um, the other day, one of our kids called somebody a, a bonehead, and uh, <clears throat> I didn't have to ask where that word was learned. Um, that's just natural. You know, that's how, that's how kids are wired. Uh, that's what makes them so good at learning languages. There's an interesting study that was done. It was late, late 70s. Two researchers, one from Oxford, one from University of Washington, and in their study, they demonstrated that infants between the ages of 12 and 21 days had already developed a capacity to uh, imitate the facial gestures of adults. And that that capacity to imitate formed the foundation for how they would learn to communicate for the rest of their lives. As adults, we would like to think of ourselves as fiercely independent. You know, we're just blazing a trail through life and we're influencing those around us, but no one else is influencing us. But that's simply not the case. It is in human nature. It's physiological. It's biological. This is the way God has wired us. We learn by the examples of others around us, for good or for bad. And so one of the things I want us to look at this morning is is who is influencing us and how are we influencing others? Uh, I would argue that the essence of discipleship is imitation. When Jesus Christ decided to come to earth and he was going to change the entire course of human history, he picked 12 men that he wanted to learn to imitate him. Gospel writer in Mark tells us that he chose 12 that they would be with him. They would follow him around 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. They would see him when he was preaching to crowds. They would see him when he was having conversations one-on-one. They would see him when he was sleeping, when he was resting, when he was alert, when he was eating, when he was drinking, when he was tired or hungry or thirsty, when he was happy, when he was sad, what really excited him and what made him angry. They would see everything about him. He would influence them and their value system so that when he left, they could represent him on earth. That's the essence of discipleship. In fact, to be a disciple means literally to be a follower of Christ. The Apostle Paul picked up on the same methodology. This is how he trained men around him. They followed him. They learned from his example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says to the church, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Christ is gone and now he's in heaven, but I imitate Jesus Christ. I've learned of him. And so I'm literally a mimic of Christ. This is where we get the word mimic. I mimic Jesus Christ and I want you to turn around and mimic me as I am mimicking Jesus Christ. Learn from me. Author to the Hebrews picks up the same theme. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, imitate or mimic their faith. If you want to look up some other verses that have the same theme, I've given you a few here at the bottom. This is just a principle of human nature. So I want us, as we're looking at uh, some of these examples in Philippians, to be thinking about this. I think Paul wrote this section to remind us of good examples to follow, good role models to have influence us. Uh, He started actually in chapter 2, in verses 5 through 11, with the example of Christ. Look in verse 5. 
He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And uh, literally, remember, it's, it's have this mindset, have this orientation to this obsession, this fixation that Jesus Christ had. Imitate Jesus Christ, particularly in his humility, his willingness to leave all of the, the pleasures and prerogatives, the, the rights of heaven, and come to earth and sacrifice and serve, even to the point of death. I want you to imitate Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, then you will come together as one around Christ. And then he gives some earthly illustrations or examples. He talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Look in chapter 2, verse 20. He's sending them Timothy. He says, because I have no one else of kindred spirit. Literally, I have nobody else who is same-souled with me. Paul surrounded himself with people who were same-souled because... He wanted to influence them for Christ. He also realized that they would influence him. When he was suffering and hurting, they could either discourage him or they could help him set his mind on eternity and not on the present circumstances. He gives the example of Epaphroditus in chapter 2, verse 29. It says, receive him, that is Epaphroditus, then in the Lord and do so with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard. Here's a worthy role model, Epaphroditus. He's one of your number. Remember these qualities in his life and imitate his faith. Over in chapter 3, Paul holds up himself as an example. Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Literally, uh, become fellow imitators with me. And observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. So as we walk through these illustrations, I want us to think about two things. First, who do we follow? And who do we allow to have an influence on our value system and on, consequently, the choices we make and the words that we speak, the things that we really love? Who do we allow to influence us? Who are the role models? Who are the examples in our life? Are we aware? Are we conscious that we're allowing these people to influence us? And then corresponding to that, who are we influencing? And are we setting an example that is according to the image of Jesus Christ? Is an example that we really want them to follow? This is really critical for those of you who are parents. If you have a group of men and women, college students that you may be leading or discipling. If you have roommates, you have an influence on them. Are you conscious about the influence that you're having? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two illustrations or two influences. Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then we're going to look at Paul's community of believers. So turn with me, if you would, to chapter 2 and verse 19. Let's look first at the example of Timothy. Paul says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Remember, Paul is in prison and uh, he wants to send news to them. He's hoping that shortly he'll be released, and when he's released, he wants to send Timothy to them. He says, because I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming to you shortly. Uh, first characteristic in Timothy's life that I want to point out is that Timothy's a guy who looks out for number one. When we hear that phrase, we usually think of ourselves. 
But when Timothy thought about number one, he didn't think about himself. Timothy had learned that wonderful lesson, foundational lesson in life, that none of us is the center of the universe. You're not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. It's a really simple lesson. But that's what makes life rich, when we're not constantly consumed with ourselves. Notice chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Paul's not saying that he doesn't know anyone else that has kindred spirit, but right now while he's in Rome in prison, of those available to send to the Philippians, he doesn't have anyone else around him who has the same soul, that has the same compassion and passion for the Philippians' progress in Christ. Now I try to insert myself in passages like this and I think, what if I were one of Paul's co-workers at this point in time? Would he say, yeah, Brian, I, I actually I have two. There, there's Timothy and there's Brian. Or, or would he say, mm, I better, no, no, it's, 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 just, it's just Timothy. It's just Louie. You know, I better send Louie. I can't send Brian. I got, I got to send somebody else because he has a like mind. He is same souled with me. And how would Paul know? Well, he'd look at the way that I, I spend my time. He'd look at the way that I spend my money. He'd look at the way I spend all of my resources. What am I most passionate about? Who do I speak about the most? Am I talking about me all the time? My concern with others, it's obvious. And in Timothy's life, it's obvious that his priorities are in line. Look at verse 21. It says, they all, the others, that is, they seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. See, for Timothy, Jesus Christ was number one in his life. Jesus Christ was the center of his life. That's why he cared about the Philippians, because they belonged to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Like a child serving his father, he's concerned about Christ, so he wants people to know Christ. And once they know Christ, he wants them to go on with Jesus Christ. Men and women, we need to have people in our lives because we will be influenced by others. We need to have people in our lives who have Jesus Christ first. He is the actual center of their lives. They don't just say it, but they order their lives around Jesus Christ. How do you know these kind of people? Let me give you a couple of uh, qualities that you see in them. One is, they actually do share the gospel. They don't talk about about evangelism, uh, you know, theoretically, and they don't just talk about the theology of the gospel. They actually talk to people about Jesus Christ who don't know Christ. They love Jesus Christ that much that they're willing to take those risks and they talk about Christ. I happen to have uh, married a person like that. And my wife, her, one of her top spiritual gifts is evangelism. It's not that she, she tries to think about people's spiritual condition. It's just natural. And you know, I, other than my parents, my wife has probably influenced me more than any single person because I live with her day in and day out. I know her. I know what she really values. And she has changed my orientation in life. When I, when I walk into a, a place, I think now about do people know Jesus Christ? And you know, that may sound silly to you because I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. I get paid to pray and all that stuff. But I, it's not. It's just. It's not natural. Uh, I think about other things. But when I, because I've been with her, my mind is oriented that direction. And when I begin to drift from that value system, all that I've got to do is go to Kroger with my wife, or go to CVS Pharmacy, or go to Target, and we will be in a spiritual conversation with someone. 
It is inevitable. And it's interesting because we were just this last week, my wife can be very focused. You go to the store and she's got her list where we need to pick up. And, but, but if she gets into a spiritual conversation, that becomes the focus. And we were at the store and we got home and I said, did you get everything on your list? She goes, oh no. And there were like four or five things she'd forgotten. They were in writing. They were on the list. She'd looked at the list, but she got into a spiritual conversation and, and all else seemed to drift away. Okay. Because she is most concerned that people know Jesus Christ. That, that changes me. You need to have someone in your life that is most concerned about Jesus Christ. You need to have some people in your life who are more concerned about others than they are about themselves. How do you know that person? Well, they're talking more about the needs of others than they are talking about their own needs. When they're with you, they're asking questions. And it's not that they're closed, that they're afraid to be, be open and transparent. If you ask them, they will tell you what's going on in, in, in their lives, but they really are very concerned with others. On our staff, Brad Evans is that way. Brad is deeply concerned with the needs of others, so he's always asking how others are doing. And Brad is a very transparent person, but he's genuinely concerned with the needs of others. That influences me. Uh, I would say that's influenced our, our entire staff. We are more concerned about the, the pastoral care needs of people who are hurting in our church than we've ever been in the history of our church, I think. And one of the big influences of that, on that is Brad. You know these kind of people and you, you see them. It's obvious. And they will influence you to become more like Jesus Christ. Second quality in Timothy is that he has proven character. In verse 22. They say, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Uh, Paul says his character, literally, uh, he was, he's been tested and proven valuable. That's that, that phrase for proven worth. He's been tested and you've seen it, you know it. Timothy has a long track record, a long history of walking faithfully with Jesus Christ, of serving, literally it's that same word for, for enslaving himself that we saw in chapter one, verse one. Timothy has been a slave. He's surrendered his rights and he's done so for a long period of time. He's done it like a child serving his father. Timothy has been in submission to me and followed me. That's a sign of character and you know it, you've seen it. All the churches know about it. His reputation is set. Men and women, I particularly address this to you college students you need to have older people in your life who've walked with Jesus Christ a long time, young couples. You need to have older adults in your life who've walked with Jesus Christ a long time. Our culture doesn't value this. And you need to be aware. It's difficult sometimes when you're in your own culture to be aware of the influences of your own culture. It's just so much a part of you. But you need to step back and realize we live in a culture that does not value age and wisdom. We value what is new. We value what is new, not what is old and wise. That's, that's old. Set it aside. Look for the latest. Look for the greatest. It, it can be fashion. It can be, uh, you know, getting an email about, you got you to update that computer program constantly because it's going to have new things that will make you better and faster and smarter and wiser and richer and whatever. But what's, what's old and settled and secure, in our culture, we set it aside. We don't value it. You have an opportunity as college students, young married couples, there are uh, wise men and women around you 
And if you pursue it, you can get their influence in your life. Students, you can be adopted by a family here. Don't look for the family that has the coolest car or the coolest house or that the husband and wife are really trendy in the way they dress. Don't look for that. Look for character. Proven over time. Those are the people that you want to influence you because someday you're going to be old and you're not going to care any longer about keeping up with trends and fashions and music. What's going to be most important to you is did you develop character over a lifetime? It's one of the qualities that Paul commends to them in Timothy. Now let's look at Epaphroditus for a moment. In chapter one, uh, 2 verse 25, Paul says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. In other words, I'm going to send you Timothy when I find out about my case, if I'm released or not. But right now, immediately, I want to let Epaphroditus come back to you. He's my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Look again in verse 25. Notice Paul says, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Uh, First quality about Epaphroditus is that he's faithful to God's calling in his life. Epaphroditus had a lot of different roles. He was, uh, Paul said, he's he's my brother, the generic term for being um, a faithful believer in Jesus Christ. He's my brother, but he's also a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. That, That means he knows Epaphroditus has participated in furthering the gospel. And he also says he's, he's a messenger. He brought to me the gift from you and he's a minister to my need. What is Epaphroditus doing right now? Well, he's, he's not out probably preaching sermons and getting to do ministry, so to speak. What, Paul, what Epaphroditus has been doing for the last several months is he's been working to earn money to help Paul with his physical needs. That's probably all that he's been doing. Look in chapter 2 again, verse 30. It says, He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In other words, what Epaphroditus has done is he, he was a member of the Philippian church. They gathered a bunch of money together and Epaphroditus carried it to Paul and his companions so that Paul could have his physical needs met. But the money wasn't enough to keep supporting Paul, and so Epaphroditus went out and he got work, and he got work so that he could pay for his own place to live and his own food and his own clothing, but also so that he could meet the financial and physical needs of Paul. I want you to remember the setting. Paul is in prison. When we think about somebody being in prison, you know, it's not a place in our culture we want to go now, but at least we think if you go to prison, you're going to have clothes to wear and you're going to have food to eat and hopefully it'll be a safe place. But in a Roman prison... It looks something more like this, okay? There would have been a a small stone opening and a wooden door, a thick wooden door. And when Paul went inside and he was locked in, there was no heat. So in the wintertime, it was cold. 
And there was no air conditioning. So in the summertime, it was sweltering. It was hot. And Paul had to provide his own clothing, his own blankets. He had to provide for his own meals. Roman prison, prisoners did not have meals brought to them. So Epaphroditus is out working and he's trying to earn money and he's arranging for meals to be brought to Paul in prison so that Paul can eat. When Paul went inside his prison cell, it probably looked something like this. There was no electricity though. So Paul's sitting there, it's cold, it's, it's damp, it's dark. If he wants to write a letter, well, Epaphroditus has to send someone with parchment and pen and candle so he can sit and he can write. And Epaphroditus is working so hard that he comes to the point of death. This is Epaphroditus' ministry right now. And it's interesting, Paul uses the word for ministry. It's not the common word, uh, diakonos, which means service. It's the word liturgos, from which we get the word liturgy. It's the word that was applied to the priests in the Old Testament when they would, they would uh, set up the, the sacrificial system, the, the order of worship. What Paul is saying is Epaphroditus is meeting physical needs, but that is worship. And whatever Epaphroditus was called to do, whether it's out preaching a sermon or just working so he can give finances to others, he was faithful to his calling. Second, he was a follower of the cross. In chapter 2 and verse 26. I'm sending to you Epaphroditus because he was longing for you all. And he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick even to the point of death. He worked so hard that he came even to the point of death. This is a phrase that was used earlier in chapter 2 verse 8 of, of Jesus Christ. To the point of death. Christ actually died. Epaphroditus was right, right at the edge in order to complete the work of Christ. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're a follower of the cross. The way of Jesus Christ is the way of the cross. We should expect as believers that life will not always be comfortable. It will be sacrificial. You need to surround yourself with people who you see actually making sacrifices for Jesus Christ, whether it's their time or their money or their energy, that their family And themselves individually, they're oriented toward Jesus Christ and they're willing to make sacrifices. They're things that they choose not to do for Christ. Things that they choose not to purchase so that they can pursue Christ and promote Christ. That's a value system. And we will be influenced by that. That's what I see in Epaphroditus, a man who's faithful to his calling. He's a follower of the cross. Now, third, I want us to look at at the example of Paul's whole community. In chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. Become fellow imitators with me and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. If individuals influence us, how much more so when we're surrounded by a a whole group of people? If you have a group of people around you who love Jesus Christ, he is actually the center of their life. They'll have a tremendous influence on the things that you love in this world. If, on the other hand, you are surrounded by people who do not love Jesus Christ most, you will be influenced by them. And I'm not saying that we should not have ministry in this world and share the gospel and have friends who are not believers in Jesus Christ. God has called us for that very purpose, but we need to have a community that is supporting us and protecting our value system, or we will be pulled off into the value system of the world. 
Notice that what Paul says after making this statement about himself and his community. He says in verse 18, For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Paul says, don't be imitators of these people. Uh, Literally, whose God is their appetite is, whose God is their stomach, their belly. They respond just to the passions, whatever they want, whatever they, they desire in the moment, that's what they pursue. Their God is their appetite. They set their mind on earthly things. What they are most consumed with are things that just simply will not last. They will not endure. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. Remember, that's, that's the theme we've been drawing through the whole book. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is, that is the essence of our identity. We belong in heaven. We belong with Jesus Christ. And we will, in fact, be there for all of eternity. So now, start living on this earth as a citizen of heaven. How do you do that? Well, God's goal for our lives is that we be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul says uh, in Galatians, my children with whom I begin in labor until Christ is formed in you. Galatian believers, in your culture, in your particular language, with your family history and your personality, the very character of Christ must be formed in you so that you become the imitation of Christ. You become, for those who are around you, a representation of what Jesus Christ loves most and values most. In the way that you think, in the way that you feel, in the choices that you make. And the way that God has designed that to happen in our lives is by the influences around us. Christ is not here. We look in the word and we meditate on on him and his, his illustration and his example. But then he's also given us the gift to have people around us who are a reflection of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we will become like those people if we allow them to influence us. On the other hand, if we allow the world to control our thoughts and our motives and our desires, we will become like the world. That is just how we're wired as humans. And so what I want us to do as we close, I want to give you a couple of things to think about this week. The first is this, who do you admire? You know, you may not admire everything about somebody's life, but there may be a particular part of their life. Who do you admire? You say, I I like that in that person's life. Uh, Are you conscious of the fact that you admire that? Our culture is very much driven by celebrity. And we'd say as Christians, well, we we don't really, we're not imitating that, we're not modeling that, we're not worshiping that. But when we pick up magazines and we read and we're, we're, we're very interested in their lives and we're reading all about their lives and we may spend an hour or two during the week reading about their lives and we may spend five minutes reading the word, that magazine is going to influence you. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. Okay, who do you admire? Have you, have you set your mind on people who are worthy of imitation? Who are your role models? Are you an imitator of Christ? You're actually looking at Christ and saying, how would Christ think in this setting? How would Christ feel in this setting? How can I imitate Christ? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are like Christ? If you don't have a body, a community of fellow believers that you can walk through life with, that maybe that's the most important application point that you can take from this morning. We were not designed or equipped to walk through life solo. 
God didn't make us that way. We need a community of people who have same values to support us as we walk through life. Students, this is the greatest opportunity that you will ever have in your entire life to find that kind of community. Get into a Bible study. You know, maybe you do it at Grace, maybe you do it through Phylam or Bucks or whatever. Maybe you set it up on your own in your dorm, but find a group that you can walk through life with. It's a great opportunity. Men and women, couples and singles who are here in this church, part of this community, don't leave this morning without the commitment to work really hard to discover who are these people that God has provided for you to support a complete Christ-like orientation in life. Okay? Now, a third question I want us to think about is, who looks up to you? For, for whom are you a role model? What's the legacy that you are going to leave behind? You will, you, you'll leave behind a legacy. You, know, you look at this passage, it's basically it's like a recommendation letter. You know, he's, he's sending these guys back, and they know these guys, but he's, he's reminding them, these are the qualities, so when they come, I want you to receive them very gladly and lift them up. And it's like a recommendation letter, and I, again, I put myself in here, and I think, if Paul were writing a recommendation letter for me, what would he put in there? What would be the qualities that he would build up? What would be the qualities that he would ignore so I could still get the job, Right? I write a lot of recommendation letters for summer camp or missions trips or jobs or graduate programs. I write those all the time. Some of them are really easy. Some of them are really hard. What would someone put in a recommendation letter for you? If you're a parent, are you conscious that you are setting an example and your children listen so much more to your actions and the choices you make than the words that you speak? Are you an imitator of Christ and do the people around you see the example of Christ in you? Here, what I'd like for us to do, I'd like you to take these questions and meditate on them this week. But I'd like for us to start this morning. Let's just take a few moments before the Lord uh, and just dwell on these things and then let me close us in prayer. Father, we confess this is a very challenging concept. I uh, even for me personally, I think, Lord, could I say with confidence, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Many days when I, when I could not say that, I thank you, Lord, for your grace in my life and that uh, today is a new day. Tomorrow will be a new day. You will allow me to wake up with uh, mercies that are new, your grace in my life, your unconditional love. I thank you, Father, that I'm secure in that. I thank you, Father, that each person who loves your son Jesus and believes in him this morning is secure in that knowledge. Lord, we don't want to be the same. We want to be different. We want to become more like Christ. We want to choose wisely those who we follow. We also, Father, want to be a model of Christ for others. We want to leave a legacy behind that um, is really a beautiful picture of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would do that in this body. I pray, Father, uh, that each person would hear a voice from you directing uh, steps to take this week so that we create a, an environment, a culture in which we can become more like Christ. I pray, Father, for this, this entire church that the things that we love most and value most would be more and more like Christ. People would look in, they'd see the choices that we make and the words that we speak. And they would say, well, those people are very different. I pray, Father, that in us they would see Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, Father. We want to lift up the name of your son, Jesus. We love him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.